What's up, everybody? I'm Chad Brock. And I'm Zach Bailiff. Welcome to this week's edition of the Orion Podcast. Welcome back, bi-weekly, Orion podcast, man. We made it. Feels like it's been too long. It it has been too long. Too long, bi-weekly. Here we are again. We are back. Our moms are watching, so we got to watch what we say and behave ourselves tonight. But, you know, it's been a big weekend. We had the the Bassmaster Classic out there. I got some time watching that. Um, I don't know if you caught any of it or not, but it was exciting. It was I didn't get exciting. to. I didn't get to see much of it other than what I was seeing on social a little bit. It was uh, it was a good one, man. It was it was tight all the way through. It literally could have been anybody's, and it was it was fun to watch. But enough about that. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about that for tonight's guest. So we've got a good one tonight. Should be fun. He is a family man. He's a. He is a CrossFit guru. He's a bow hunter. He uh, He's living out in the great state of Utah, working in the archery industry. And uh, we've known him for a little while. You know him very well. Um, yeah. Without further ado, from Hoyt Archery, Evan Williams. <laughs> which one am i on <laughs> i don't know which one you're on okay i think i got it <laughs> no there you are are you sure technical technical difficulty technical difficulty you're our first technical <laughs> difficulty well me me and electronics do not get along very well so i got my cell phone next to me just in case i need to go to the backup version there you go man hey everybody's backup's got to have a backup at this oh, point dude. Especially I'll tell you what, the internet, if I touch something with electronics, I guarantee you within 30 seconds, it's going to fail. Well, as we know all too well, two is one and one is none when it comes to just about anything we work with. <laughs> so how is, how's it going, man? How's it going? He's there. He's Can you there. hear us? Can you hear us? Sounds like we might be on my phone. How's that? Yeah, there you are. <laughs> there oh, we sounds go. Good. You're clear. Can you can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, I pulled. 
All right. I think we got it. <laughs> Technical difficulties. We're back. Yes. How's that? That, that works perfect. good. Perfect. Okay. So, man, how are you doing tonight? Uh, if I can breathe through this, we'll be doing really, really good. Um, just... <coughs> Sorry, I just got done with my workout and literally had to drive 15 quick to get down here and uh, left my daughter at school and told my wife, like, you got to run real quick because I'm going to be. <laughs> well, we thought maybe you ran to the podcast. <laughs> yeah, physically. Physically <laughs> ran yeah. here. <laughs> the stairs. So, and that's, that's asking me right now. <laughs> so, man, uh, let's let's jump right into this. Um, let's get a little backstory. We this is this is a cooler podcast with cooler stories, um, and and really one of the things we like to do here is get into the backstory and hear about you know kind of that point of origin. So, man, for you, I mean, you grew up chasing deer in the Midwest. Um, you know how how did this start for you i mean did you have was it family influence a family friend i mean how did how did this blossom into a passion for the outdoors and hunting um you know growing up my brother and i were 16 months apart um so it's really like having a twin and one of the things that my granddad had instilled in his four sons is a passion for faith family and the outdoors um my great-grandfather is not a hunter but for whatever reason, my grandfather, when he was growing up, just had this, like, raised all of my um, second cousins and all of my uncles and my dad um, to be passionate outdoorsmen. Um, everybody was in the Boy Scouts. My granddad ran a, a Boy Scout troop when my uncles and dad were growing up. And that was something that my dad wanted to do with us, one, to, to keep us close but two really to get us out of the house. Cause when you got two kids that are 16 months apart and they're both boys, it usually is going to be a, you know, wrestling match at some point. So, you know, grew up playing army and building forts and, um, actually went on my first hunt when I was seven months old in a backpack carrier. Um, my mom had me on her back and, uh, we were in central Nebraska at the time. And my dad was doing a, an upland pheasant quail hunt and mom was packing me around. And, just grew up that way. Um, and then it, when we got into the Boy Scouts, um, my third grade year had a Scoutorama and one of the uh, divisions for Nebraska had their local shooting booth up and had a BB gun competition and I ended up taking third. And two years later, we were moving from Nebraska down to Kansas. And when you're young like that and you're moving into a new community, you're always looking for ways to get involved. Well, my parents' way of getting involved for them was dad's work and then the church. And then a way for us to get involved because the community we moved into was only like 260 people. But the neighboring town had a local BB gun program uh, and a very, very competitive one. Um, at the time we moved down there, they were the most winning international youth BB gun team and program in the world. It's an international program through the JCs at the time. And so he got us both into that. Um, and we qualified for that youth BB gun team, the three years that we competed with them. Um, and then my freshman year in high school, the team that I was on with my younger brother, we won the international competition. Um, he sat out the next year and his team won again 
uh, two years later. And at that point I had aged out of that and was looking for the next step in shooting. And I happened to qualify for an elite air rifle team, which is a 0.177 pellet um, shot out of a, a Daisy Sporter air rifle at 10 meters, which is a, a 33 foot distance at a target that when you look at it, it's fairly big, you know, it's the size of a golf ball. Um, but it has rings in the concentric circles that neck down to the size of a pin in a period in a book you're reading. Um, and that's what you're aiming at. That competition actually took me to the Wolf Creek Olympic shooting venue in Atlanta, Georgia, where they had just held the 1996 Olympic games. And I was introduced to the sport of international rifle or IR rifle. Um, and persuaded my dad to let me buy an on shoots air rifle and start getting the equipment I needed um, my junior year. And so junior year and senior year just kind of start building up a resume and was able to take that into a full ride college athletic scholarship to shoot. Um, and with that rifle background, um, my brother and I were always doing rifle hunting, which really helped us as far as our winter sports schedule, because growing up in Kansas, the Kansas firearms season for deer was only a, a 10 day season at the time. So it didn't interfere with our winter sports. Um, and then coming into college um, in 2004, my sophomore year, I competed in the Athens Olympic tryouts and really got a bigger picture and a view of what the sport was um, and what it could do for me as an individual. Started putting a little bit more focus there. Um, I had gotten my grades up at school to where I was on the, the dean's academic list, as well as um, being a collegiate rifle coaches um, All-American member. And so I was able to work closer once I got into my uh, junior, senior, and then my, my redshirt fifth-year senior. Um, I was able to work with those professors in my degree field um, and have a lot more leeway in projects and everything that was going on on the academic side um, because I started traveling a lot more for the U.S. team, trying to qualify for World Cups, uh, World Championships in 2006. Uh, we had the Beijing Olympic trials in 2008, the year after I graduated. Um, so I really put all my eggs in that basket, and that was to the point of practicing 50 hours a week um, and honestly was getting burned out. Well, my younger brother, staying around home, he was a football player at the University of Nebraska in Kearney, and he had picked up my dad's old 1988 Hoyt Rambo, and it's a right-handed bow, and he's a lefty. So he had new strings put on it, and it's a teardrop style. So it's got a, a braided steel cable that has um, a sleeve on it to protect those steel harnesses. And then on the string yoke, it comes over a plastic pulley, which was a wheel at the time. And it had a, a arrow teardrop on the end that you could connect your string to. So your central string was the only physical string material like we know it today on bows. Um, and he had that all replaced and inspected to make sure it was good. And I came home on Thanksgiving break that year. He handed it to me and said, dude, let's go pick up a, an over-the-counter archery tag. It's 40 bucks. Let's go see if we can kill some whitetail. And we had dabbled in 4-H archery growing up and 
we spent nine days of Thanksgiving break trying to chase around a couple bucks. And I finally, I arrowed my first whitetail literally 45 minutes before I had to be back in the truck, headed back to school after Thanksgiving break. And on Christmas break, decided I was going to go all in and bought my first true compound bow. And, um, I started using that as a cross training tool because the, the fundamentals between firearm and archery are very, very similar in how you set up the biomechanics and the, the structure of the bones in your body. Um, and then execution, very, very similar, um, in the loading and the pressure engagement. And so I was able to really take my mind off of 50 hours a week shooting my gun and play more on the archery side while still getting the mental aspect of it. And after I graduated, having an opportunity to go down through a graduate program to the University of Mississippi and was helping with their collegiate program down there and found a part-time job in a local archery pro shop and doing some outdoor sporting goods sales. And the archery tech kind of took me under his wing to get some help and kind of started showing me the ropes on how to fletch arrows and the basics on how to build bows, how to tune them, how to set draw lengths and, and really start doing a lot of the techie stuff behind it. And in January of that year, which was January of 08, I got an invitation from the U.S. team to go to the Czech Republic and compete in an international event in um, Pilsen, which is about 100 kilometers just outside of Prague. Luckily, my buddy had just married a Czech woman, and so they had an apartment over there. So I was able to go over there and stay and compete. Um, and I met the MQS, or the minimum qualifying score for the U.S. team at that event, and got an invitation to leave Mississippi and go to Colorado and train with the Olympic team. The caveat to that is because we were in an Olympic year and I didn't have an Olympic quota or a position on the team, I was what was called a facility use athlete. So I had full access to the range, um, sports med, sports psychology, the weight room, the cafeteria, everything I needed to continue my shooting career, but I didn't have a room in the dorms. So I had all my college debt, um, cause I, I took out a bunch of college loans to upgrade my equipment and to be able to travel and buy higher quality ammunition. And when I moved out there, had to find a place to live with my college debt and my truck payment, um, got a part-time job. I was working the footwear department at Sportsman's Warehouse and happened to walk into the local archery pro shop and hand them my resume. And it was, I never remember. It was actually September 2nd when I walked in. And I had taken a preliminary trip out there to find housing and find a part-time job before I officially moved out there the first part of October. And the owner's wife was there because the owner was on his month-long elk hunt and handed her my resume. And Arliss looked at it and goes, you're from Kansas. Yes, ma'am. And she goes, and you grew up working at a grain elevator. Yes, ma'am. I... My dad runs a grain elevator. It's a, it's a series of cooperatives. You know, they've got, they've got five locations in three counties. Um, and my summer job was working on the rail cars, loading grain bins, you know, doing pretty much everything you can imagine as a, as a college kid grunt work, you know, would entail. And oh yeah, she's like, well, as far as I'm concerned, you're hired because I grew up in Minnesota and I know what kind of work that is. But when Bill gets back, We'll have you come in and talk to him and, and we'll see what he thinks. 
so Bill got off the mountain and called me and I walked in there on October 4th and super, super busy in the shop. And he throws the bow in my face and goes, I got to take care of these guys. If you can build this, here's the bag of accessories, put it together, tune it, time it, get all ready to go. So I could hand it to a customer. That'd be really big help. And then um, I can get these guys taken care of and we can sit down and have a conversation. So I spent about 15 minutes putting the bow together, tuned it. He got done and I handed him the bow and I said, this is how I was taught at the previous shop to build a bow. What do you guys do differently that I need to, to change? And he literally looks at it and goes, we tie in a drop way this way and we tie a D loop bottom knot this way. Can you start next week? So fast forward two years. Um, I didn't make the, the London Olympic team, <coughs> excuse me. <clears throat> and, uh, at that point it was, I either have to commit fully to competitive rifle shooting and didn't know what kind of living that would provide. Um, my wife and I were expecting our first child. And so it was all right, time to retire from the sport and kind of go full time at the pro shop as an hourly top and, and work in as a cashier, as a sales clerk, as a janitorial services and, and you name it. And, uh, worked for Bill and Arliss at Pellegrino's archery hut in Colorado Springs for almost nine years. And, had applied for a position with Hoyt a couple different times and finally got a call one day from the VP of marketing was like, Hey, seen a couple of your resumes come across. We got a position open within the team. Love to uh, fly you out and have a conversation and see if you'd be a fit for this position within the marketing department and flew out there in July, had a horrible interview. Um, if you can imagine the worst interview of a kid just sitting there staring at two people that he's known for 10 years <laughs> and had up on this pedestal, like drooling, looking around, not knowing what question was just asked and just blobbering through an interview. Um, that was about it. And as soon as I landed back in Colorado Springs, called a buddy and was like, that was horrible. Like there is no way. And he had actually just got off the phone with Jeremy Eldridge, who was the marketing director, one of the guys I'd interviewed with. And he goes, dude, he goes, I just had a conversation. And the fact that you can admit that, he goes, that's going to go a long way. And I got an offer three days later. And um, that was in July of 2015. And because I was in the shop coming into our busy season, my boss needed the help, so he made the deal that they couldn't have me until the middle of September. So Zach and I had drawn elk tags that year, and Bill's like, when do you want to go elk hunting? Because they've asked me when I can let you go, and I want to make sure you get your elk hunt in. So Zach and I came up with a plan to uh, go on our elk hunt, and then literally the night we got back, we were dumping um, sofas off the three-story balcony out of my apartment <laughs> <laughs> trying to get stuff out of our apartment complex because my wife was pregnant at the time and uh or sorry we had just had oh. I just had um ori so he was ori was a month ori, old six weeks old yeah so but and then that was uh officially got out here september 15th of 2015 and um bounced around a little bit in the hoyt marketing department started in uh business development and PR and was helping with um, show coordination for products. Um, you know, kind of the guy in front doing 
the interviews through all the media, um, doing our YouTube launches and releases with my tech background. Um, worked with all of our pro staff, Target, um, hunting, compound, recurve, international, domestic, um, more in a in an events role right now, and and doing all our show organizing for the booth, our product setups, displays, um, yeah, you name it, kind of kind of doing it all right now for the the marketing team as much as I can. That's so. awesome, man. That is awesome, and I mean. You've, you've worked your way and I have very similar story with what I do as well. As you well know, I mean, very, and it feels good to, to sit there and work your way and climb that ladder. And I think, you know, you appreciate it a lot more being in that position and, and getting to do it the way you've done it. Um, it's not the easy road, but it's, it's a darn good one as far as climbing that corporate ladder and, and seeing that develop into a good career for you. It's been a- <laughs> Interesting journey. I'm, I'm definitely curious and interested to see where the where the ladder's headed right now. So. Well, I'm sure it's only going up, man. It's only going up. So another thing that you have big interest in um, is photography. The three of us, we, we've kind of got this apprentice level niche in uh, photography, and we all enjoy it. Uh, how does that play into? I mean, we've kind of talked about your hunting and some of that, but how do you factor in this other hobby into your hunting hobby? Um, try to not spend a bunch of money on gear and get my wife. <laughs> <laughs> I said, remember everything by. Um, no, and there's there's a little bit of family background on that too. Um, family really actually started getting into the video side of it back in the early nineties, um, videoing my granddad and my uncles and dad all out pheasant hunting and quail hunting back in Eastern Kansas. You know, we've got hours of old tape and my granddad always, always wanted to have the memories and have everything just locked away somewhere. And so you know, watching him and, and getting to realize why he was doing it. Um, when I started traveling more and, you know, getting to go to Europe and some of these places overseas for shooting, um, I didn't want to just have a disposable camera. Um, I had done that, you know, going to Philmont Scout Ranch and, and hiking around, you know, doing the hundred mile trips around Philmont and um, have some really good pictures but everything was shot on a disposable and have a lot of those memories ingrained, but they just don't look the way I remember looking at pictures. And Zach really kind of got me launched into that after our 2015 hunt, because when you have the friendship and the camaraderie and, and there's just little things about a hunt that you want to remember more. Um, and as my kids grow up, like the little looks and the giggles and like watching their personalities grow. Um, I wanted to have a better remembrance for us. And, you know, now that we're in Utah, my wife, Kaylee, her folks are in Florida. Um, my parents are in Northwest Kansas. Uh, my brother's in eastern nebraska so getting to share quality photos with everybody all over um, it's really gone a long way and and at a higher quality too 
So, you know, just, yeah, that made a, that made a big difference when we first started getting into the photography side of it was, you know, at the time we wanted to do some things to capture the adventures when we were hunting and stuff, but it also made sense to make that investment because of the memories you'd be able to capture with, you know, family and kids and vacations mm-hmm. and, you know, things that we're going to be looking at 30 years from now. You know, and one thing too with it, um, just some of the areas that, that Zach and I have hunted together, you remember little things about places and, and I mean, you can use, you know, base map and, and you can plot your waypoints and things like that. But when you've got your DSLR or your uh, mirrorless right there on your strap and you can pull it out and take a picture, it's a whole lot easier to look at a topo map or look at an aerial and have that picture to go with and go like, Oh, the wind tends to do this in a certain area and we could approach it like this and like physically have a, a reference that you guys can go back and forth between um, in areas. Um, and you know, Zach and I chased a bull into a, a hole, uh, would have been what, 19? That one mm-hmm. that got onto the private on us. Yeah. And, you know, we got some pictures of that bull down in the water that, you know, if we hadn't had cameras and, and that kind of thing, just the scene of him down in the water with his cows bugling and just giving us the finger from the private side. Was, <laughs> yeah. He um, knew where he was at. <laughs> oh, he, he was towing that line harder than we were. Yeah. hundred so. percent. Yeah. And I mean, you can probably agree. Zach's pretty good at spending our money on camera stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's really good at that. Yeah. <laughs> Practical. Well, I, I can't always, I run out of money sometimes, so I got to spend somebody <laughs> else's. <help us. laughs> hey, this I hear it's really cool. <laughs> well, and if you have that one and I have this one, then together we've got a good kit. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. And that is one of the things that, that you know, Zach is a, he's been a Sony guy for, what, three years now, I think? Yeah, three, uh, No, I you had that. You had seven, 17, I think. Yeah. So it's been about five years because you had the what sixty three hundred before. Yeah, the A sixty three hundred. Yeah, so so he was running that, and I was running Canon. Um, and both both of us started out on a crop sensor. Um, my choice on that was one at the time the the Canon SL one that I was running uh, was the lightest DSLR on the market, so I didn't have to worry about a lot of weight, and it had like a sixteen megapixel camera, so. I was good with that at the time. Um, I had drawn uh, my first really good elk tag that I've been waiting on and got some good stuff. But the problem is, is the lenses I had would work with him without an adapter and vice versa. So I'd been looking at upgrading and um, ended up going with a Sony to match his. And Zach's running a what, 35 to 75 now or 35 to 105. Uh, no, it's a 24 to 70. The one I'm looking at upgrading to is a 35 to 150. But so the, the 24 to, to 75 that he's running, and then I went with a 70 to 200. Um, so we've got great overlap for extension right between us and, um, you know, swap out a lens here or there depending on who's up and who's in what position. So, um, you know, having having a hunting partner that's got the same, same mount system and running a similar um, – operating system and, and body as you um if if i've got the 7200 on mine and and we want to switch real quick i can hand him my camera and he knows how to run it and he can hand me his and i know how to operate his so well and it works fantastic doing the type of hunting we do i mean we backpack in 
so often and are staying for an extended period of time that we don't have to take we don't have to be redundant in our lenses. We don't need to both carry a 24 to 70, yep. you know? Yep. Yeah. And I think that's, that's good advice for anybody that's going out there. Hi guys. What kind of questions do we have since Chad froze on us? Oh, there we go. There we go. Everybody's back. So anyway, yeah, I mean, that's a great lens to get, Get some pretty deep. I swear it's not mine, guys. Like I've got full service. <laughs> um, it might be my computer on the other end, but that's over here, so it's all on chat at this point. Yeah. <laughs> there. Yeah, We're here. We're here. <laughs> Zach's messed up. Okay. Gotta I love live. <laughs> we we can hear. We can kind of hear you. Uh. So some of the photos that you really? guys have brought back that um, a lot of people can see on the Huntley, as your shirt says, um, Instagram page or Facebook page. Um, the uh, Do you guys, are you printing any out? I know I've recently started printing some out, just of some of the journeys and stuff, uh, like this background that we're using right now. It's actually hanging on, hanging on my wall over here uh, in a canvas form. And, you know, is that something you find yourself starting to do a little bit, print some of these out so you can just, walk into your office and kind of go back there for just a minute? I mean, I, I haven't, um, mainly because I, I should probably ask Zach since most of the good stuff is his. Uh, <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> I break the chair on top. Uh, but, uh, and it's, it's one of the reasons I wanted to upgrade to. Um, so going to, I went, Sony A7R3, which has a 43 megapixel camera. Um, so once I do start doing a lot of that, um, my passion, like what I really want to start doing is a lot more of the landscape stuff. Um, I really love the fall colors, both um, out in September in Colorado where we're hunting, um, but also at home, you know, that late October, early November, um, where we're getting a little bit of color on the cottonwoods. And um, that's just that's just home to me in Kansas. And, you know, my parents just finished their new house. And so they've got some really cool wall space. I'd like to, to do some things there and just have a high quality image to go off of. So, um, that's what really led to the upgrade in my gear. Yeah. I haven't, I, it's, it's crossed my mind a number of times and we've got some, some white space on the wall there that I'd like to fill. Uh, we've got a couple of landscapes from some trips we've done, particularly this year, shooting up that Canyon. Um, in the second spot we were in, but there's, there's two that I would really like to do either in what they do on the, either the metal prints or a canvas. There's the, the one at sunrise, you and Bill walking across the open, um, to head to glass in 2017. Mm -hmm. And, um, that one shot of your bull on horseback getting packed out in 19. Yeah. Those are, those are two that I think would look awesome in print. Yeah. So let's go, let's go back a little bit and let's get back to hunting here. Um, so you're, you're a Midwest guy growing up in Kansas, mm -hmm. find yourself in Colorado. What kind of, what kind of shock is that going from hunting the Midwest uh, and then floating in the mountains and how, how did that, how did those first hunts out in the mountains just change everything for you? Um, the the real 
the real shock and approach for it for me because because again i'd grown up as a boy scout doing a like every single summer we were doing um a camp in colorado so i had a lot of the gear but had never really thought about the duration of stay and the gear that i was using in a hunting aspect um because now you're talking about you know more knives and game bags and you know all your meat care stuff plus you know the what ifs like okay if i'm gonna stay out here and i get into um sleet and snow and who knows what else um the survival aspect for me changed a lot versus i'm gonna be in a wall tent camping out at you know ten thousand feet for a couple days but um not packing around a ton just getting used to elevation so the the first time i went on um was down in the sangre de cristo range uh, i was a packing hunt with my buddy troy and his wife emily um and i had i had already had a tent i had my backpack i had all my my gear but what i didn't have is the knowledge of how i wanted to pack things um how long we were going to stay water sources kind of things um so the first trip in we only did three days and what I did is I actually had a little pocket journal with me and I was just taking notes on gear. Like, um, you know, my boots are too tall. These are 11 inch. I need a seven. Um, don't hike in with this clothing. Don't use this clothing. Um, this pack frame doesn't fit me the way it should. My load isn't distributed correctly. Uh, my stove is too heavy. White gas smells. Everything is getting saturated with that. Um, so it was really doing like a gear breakdown of what I needed to do to be lighter, um, faster, more efficient, um, not smell so much, and then do a ranking system of when I got to a point of needing gear, what had a higher priority. So don't hike in in jeans and a, and a cotton t-shirt, which I did the first time because I didn't want to stink anything up. So I hiked in in blue jeans and 100% cotton t-shirt and an 11-inch military-style boot and never went back to the mountains with that kind of gear again. That gives me chills just thinking about it. And Yep, it did. I was was sweating. Um, (laughs) And the good thing was we hiked in the middle of the day. So as soon as we got to camp, it was take the shirt off, wipe everything down. I got a cranky two-year-old, sounds like. And... (laughs) you know, brought, brought paracord. So we hung it around camp and come here. Hey, Hey, come here, buddy. Come here. <laughs> buddy. Yeah. Yeah. Come here. <laughs> okay. Shh. Shh. So, um, and then, the, the big thing I realized early on too, because I was an elk hunt, and I had, I broke off from the group to go chase a bull that I called Saber. Um, you know, a big, probably a three hundred inch, maybe maybe three hundred five, on his left side, but on his right side he had like a forty eight inch dagger that came out to the side and just hooked up and around it over the top. Um, no times coming off of it, just a straight main beam that didn't go back. It actually hooked off to his, uh, left and up and over the top. So I went out after him and he was about, he was probably a good mile and a half, two miles away from camp. And then I got over there and realized where he was at and how big they were. (laughs) And I was probably in trouble being 155 pounds 
in a rock scree in Boulder Field trying to hunt this thing and then what happens when I get him on the ground. So um, big realization real quick on a, on a couple things on that side of it. <laughs> well, and you probably couldn't, I mean, knowing Bill, knowing the, the clientele that come into that shop and how long you were there, you couldn't have landed in a better spot as a greenhorn coming into Western hunting. Oh, no, no. And, and Bill is one of those guys that he will work his butt off all year. And when it comes September, he's gone. He, wherever he can get an out tag, whether that's, you know, an over-the-counter tag in Colorado or a draw, he's going to Wyoming, he's going to New Mexico, he'll go to Arizona. Um, he'll have two or three out tags in his pocket every year if he can do it. Um, you know, Troy's the same way. If he doesn't draw his unit in Colorado, he's got an over-the-counter tag. They're both firefighters, so they work nine days a month. They have the ability to trade shifts, so they will trade their nine shifts in September, and they will go for the entire month and spend the whole month out in the woods. So when it comes to calling and vocalizations and you know different types of gear and the behaviorals and the patterns and where to look at different times of the year for elk and how they're going to respond to bull vocalizations early versus middle versus late and like there is not a better place that i could have truly like zach said have ended up at that point in in my life going into elk and mule deer hunting so colorado springs at the time was was the top i mean you had jace bowserman was in the area um mark smith danny ferris pellegrino troy um kirk guider the top shooters in the in the country in his class for target archery and one hell of a hunter um just an insane pocket of knowledge within an hour drive of where i had landed very nice very nice okay real quick we want to remind everybody out there tonight get them questions ready we've got five questions for evan coming up here in just a little bit so start dropping those questions in the comments and we need to see him. We're ready. But uh, all right. So back at back at this, um, talking about getting ready and and dude, I mean, you're soaking up so much knowledge uh, while you're out there, and and from knowing you for a while, knowing Zach for a while, one of your big things is fitness. Your fitness level. You're big time into CrossFit. Um, you're even coaching some people now and doing some different things how much time are you spending on the physical aspect for yourself um, along with, you know, absorbing the knowledge that you have over the past few years? Um, so my workouts right now, I'm only probably working out about an hour a day. Um, and I, I say that lightly because it's a 10 to 15 minute warm up. Um, some, progression skill work working up to you know whatever the skill set is for that day um doing either some strength or some gymnastics or some olympic lifting and then real quick turnaround time and hitting a metcon or metabolic conditioning just a, a quick like blow your lungs out lightweight move and go um, so i'm getting about an hour of my own training in um, coaching for another hour a day and then as I'm cleaning up the gym, trying to get it ready for the next day session, um, I'll turn the three kids loose and pull ropes out, pull rings down and, 
you know, we'll be in there for another 30 to 45 minutes. So um, at the gym for two and a half to almost three hours. Um, but again, my own fitness right now, just about an hour a day. Um, we're currently in our, our worldwide open. So it's our worldwide online qualifiers to see who in your age group is going to advance in the top 10% in the world to the next stage of that. Um, and after this last week, I won't be doing that. But uh, uh, after we get through this next week, um, I've kind of got my list of where I want to be um, with my goals for the next two years. Um, so I will go to a, a heavier engine, more of a cardio-based focus in the mornings on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Um, and then CrossFit training with strength Ole and gymnastics five days a week in the evenings. And then have a Saturday AM session. And then most likely like a longer cardio engine session on Saturdays. So, you know, we'll, we'll be doing six days a week and a couple of those will be two a days. So. Well, and, and knowing that, I mean, a lot of the folks listening are going to think good grief. That's, you know, a ton of time in the gym, but knowing your goals myself, I mean, what are your goals with your fitness and where are you trying to get to with that? So on the CrossFit side, um, I actually just turned 38. So I'm in what's considered a master's division. Um, and the first one of those is the 35 to 39 division. And the next one is 40 to 44. Um, so my goal, and I actually got into the CrossFit aspect is I wanted to be a games level athlete in that 40 to 44 age division. Um, so I've got two more years, um, on the strength side, I'm, I'm actually kind of right on par with where I need to be, um, as far as percentage of load and, and what I can physically do, um, at that higher percentage weight. Um, the big thing that I'm missing right now is my cardio endurance and my engine capacity. So I've got two years to work on that and it's just going to be a slow grind, you know, lots of 35 to, to 60 minute sessions of biking, running, rucking, um, going to start putting a lot more swimming involved, um, climbing stairs and, and things like that, just working on capacity engine output as well as just that mental, you can keep moving, you know, and, and really working like that zone two, zone three heart rate, because that's really where your, mm -hmm. your engine and your capacity is going to be improved. So as, right. as long as you keep beating Zach up the mountain is as the older guy, uh, or at least keeping up with him and not being completely. <laughs> well, you do have one advantage well, on him being out, hot. Yeah. <laughs> Being out in the being out in the thinner air definitely probably helps a little bit. I'm sure. I'll take the advantage. Yes, I guarantee it. <laughs> um, so when you're talking about you know keeping your head in it, does the hunting grind or is it the workout grind that you find influencing vice versa? I mean, which well, which thing is which which way is is your bigger influence that keeps you moving when you start to, you know, finding yourself in a tough position? Um, I try to grind the way I do in the gym because of what I want to do on the mountain. Um, there, there's no, there's no doubt in my mind. The whole, the whole reason I got back into fitness was because I knew I had a premium out tag. I knew I was going to be hunting for myself 
for the most part solo. And when I looked at myself and went, you're 160 pounds soaking wet. <laughs> and you're, you're looking at the potential of 120 plus pounds on your back. Um, I knew I needed to start bulking up and start taking better care of my body. One, because I don't want to get hurt on the mountain. I want to make smart decisions. And when you start getting fatigued and you start breathing hard and your mind is starting to wander and go to bad places, you need to be able to suck it up, take a breath and know I have more in me and I need to get home because of these little guys and there's people that are counting on me, you know, and I didn't feel confident at the time that I could do that real well, you know, without making three or four trips. And that would have physically put me in a coffin by the time I got back to the truck. So, you know, as Zach and I had met, um, and you, Chad, through social media and some things that you guys had going on with what was bow crazy and bass crazy at the time. And um, we had gotten to sit down at ATA show that year and, and knowing Zach's background in exercise and sports science, I reached out and was like, dude, this is where I'm at. This is what I got coming up. And, and this is the equipment that I have available um, at the little gym that we had in the apartment complex we were at. And, um, you know, Zach and I had a discussion on what my body responded to and what kind of terrain we were going to be dealing with. And we came up with a, um, interval program and that really got me kickstarted. And from there went to kind of the strength and the bodybuilding type splits. And, um, I went from a hundred and what, like 163 pounds, um, Soak and wet on that first elk hunt that I did, um, to at one point in 2018, I hit like 206 on the scale. And then I got into CrossFit shortly after that. And, um, really been fluctuating between like 186 and about 193 pretty steadily. So, and no matter what happens in the gym, I mean, you get a walk out of there. You don't always necessarily have that option on a mountain. Things can get bad and accidents happen. And, and I took a spill in 2016 and almost didn't come out of it. And it really changed my perspective and how I was going to approach things and um, got a lot more aggressive with my gear and my approach to my fitness. Cause um, if I hadn't been working out at all at that point, um, physically getting through the situation that I did and getting out of it, I don't know that that would have been possible. So, yeah, there's, there's right. definitely those situations when you're on the, you know, in different, in the train that we're in. I mean, more strength and, and not sure, and then survivable things are. Yep. Lose me. Lose me. <laughs> Can you hear me now? I got a good beat. Got a good beat. <laughs> that must mean. That must mean. It's going to get weird. It's time for five questions with Evan Williams. <laughs> Hope you're ready. You just got to lean it. You just got to lean a little closer. <laughs> Talk a little deeper into the microphone. Get your channel your inner Barry White. 
Jason Caskey from the wide world of Facebook. He says, this sounds insane. He says, what's your calorie intake per day at home versus in the field? <laughs> what is it or could it be? Um, um, <laughs> realistically, where I'm at, it should be probably between 33 and 30 calories. I'm probably floating around 28 to 3,000 right now. Uh, I'm I'm finally getting more consistency into my routine, um, and I I hate weighing food. Um, I've never been good at being that strict with that aspect of it, um, so I always just try to make sure I'm eating clean. Um, if I feel like having a cheat meal. I'm going to have it and then I'm going to be more strict on myself moving forward. Um, once we get done with the opening, I'm not putting as much into it. Um, we'll start getting a lot more strict. The goal right now, again, as I, I want to build up slowly to that 34 to 3,600 calorie intake um, because I know I'm going to be increasing my output going to a couple extra workouts a day. Um, so I want to make sure I increase my carbon protein intake. Um, just to make sure I've got the energy to get through the day and don't load up on caffeine. Uh, we're going to do that with um, oats, fruit, uh, more spinach into my diet. Um, I am running out of game meat, so unfortunately, um, uh, we're going to do quite a bit of chicken, rice, sweet potatoes. Um, and then luckily, because my folks are still in Kansas, um, we have access to 4-H beef. So we'll probably pick up some beef um, coming into the spring when we go back. Um, and then when we go on the mountain, it's a little bit more of a free for all, um, again, cause there's times where you need a faster hit. So like, I'm, I'm a huge jelly bean guy. So I have jelly bellies with me and I ration them every single day. I've got a gallon Ziploc bag of food. Um, and that'll go anywhere from. I think my lowest intake bag this last year we were hunting, I think it was like 3150. Um, yeah. And my highest day was 3400. Um, yeah. And, um, oh, what's the, what's those uh, protein cookies, Zach? Uh, the complete cookies? Yeah, the complete. Um, you, can get, you can get a, a smaller version that's got like eight grams of protein. You got a bigger one that's got 16. Those are super, super good. They're palatable. They're easy to chew. You don't have to guzzle a bunch of water with them. Um, mm. I like having the Jelly Bellies, um, the RX uh, Butter Packets. They've got a bunch of different varieties. It's a really good quick hit. Um, GU or Hammer Energy Gels. Again, those those quick shots of energy. Um, so I do rely a little bit more on some small doses of caffeine when I'm in the field. Um, but... I do a lot of the dehydrated fruit and um, oatmeal, the the peak strawberry oatmeal first thing in the morning. You can fill that up, mix it, put it in your pack, hike for an hour or two. And when you stop for that, you know, first part of the morning, pop it out, douse it. And then um, I really like all their uh, Alfredo meals at night. So they use a, an oil base. Um, so they're more on the ketogenic, the fat side, because let's face it, you get more calories that way. So when you're in the field and calories count, um, take them how you can when you're, when you're on a backpack. 
Question number two, come to you live tonight from YouTube. Dick Brummett, sleeping bags, Mm. down or synthetic, and what type of pad? Um, So let's start with the pad. Um, I am a huge fan of an air mattress. Um, I've never had sleep. I use the Xbed Sinmat UL7. Um, it's actually 10 years old now. I've never had a single issue with it. Um, it's R value, so its installation rating, I think, is like a 3.2 or a 3.4. So it's near near three season. Um, if I do any cold weather camping, I can take a Thermarest um, foam core pad, put that underneath it, and I'll be perfect for even, even you know, single digits or, you know, down to zero. Um, that's my personal preference. Um, I know Zach is using, um, an air pad as well. Um, you upgraded that green one with the built-in pillow. Um, yeah, I'm probably going to upgrade again this year. I've not found one that will handle my heavyweight tail yet and remain comfortable. (laughs) I need something a little thicker. And, and mine, when I, when I blow mine all the way up and it's usually like 20 to 22, like good inhales into that body. Um, I'm probably, I'd say yours is two and a half inches thick. I was like just under three inches. Um, so with my weight, body weight starting about 195 hitting the mountain, like I can go to my side and have a lot of focus force and, and pressure into that uh, pad and still be fairly comfortable. Um, I use a quilt over a sleeping bag. Um, I go with an enlightened equipment. Um, I believe the one I have is the Enigma 20 degree. The benefit for me being a little bit smaller guy at five, nine is I can run a standard quilt and it weighs a pound and a half. Um, the nice thing about that being down is it's the lighter weight and I can actually burrito myself in and use the clasps underneath my pad so if i turn in the middle of the night i'm just turning circles inside a burrito and i'm not like binding the bag over me um i've had that sucker in single digits in the end of september on an elk hunt at twelve thousand feet when we got caught in a blizzard back in uh i want to say it was 2013 i think it was 2013 um, and we ended up spending almost 40 hours straight in a tent and I had a pair of wool socks on and I started out with uh, merino base layers and a beanie on and I was stripping layers off because I was hot and my buddy was in a zero degree bag. There was a synthetic and he was putting layers on. Um, so I prefer a, a, uh, a down bag. Some of the new stuff out is called a quick down. So it's a, it's a treated down that if it gets wet doesn't mat down so it retains its loft um i know kuyu is using that um i think sitka with their new system it's like a built-in sleeping bag with some zippered areas to get out um i think they might have went to something similar um but again you're going to be looking in the sleeping bag that's going to be pushing that you know, upper upper two to three and a half pound range. So um, I I personally like to quit. So. Question number three. 
astronaut live. <laughs> what is your dream hunt? Ooh. Um, right now, I'd probably have to go with um, a moose hunt. Um, I've got I've got a couple of them in mind. Um, but when my wife and I started dating, she's from Florida, no hunting background with the family, started her out turkey hunting, and we watched a moose hunting video one time. Like the only time she sat down with me and watched a hunting video. And she's like, I want to hunt a moose. And so that's kind of been her thing. And I've gotten her to hunt whitetails with me a couple times and do some things. But her dream has always been to do a moose hunt. And that's something that I really want us to be able to do together. Um, so as soon as Canada figures out what they're doing, um, I've got some buddies that that have invited us up and we'll have access to some, some really good public ground as well as some private. And um, they've got things scoped out for us. And I'm I'm looking forward to to doing that with with Kaylee for sure. Question number four. Number four, coming to you live tonight via text message from an anonymous individual. Who's Bucky Barnes and who's Captain America between you and Zach? <laughs> I guess I'd be Bucky and Zach would be Captain America. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it on the chin. <laughs> I'll reveal the individual later. <laughs> that was probably the most random question we've had yet in three episodes. It, is Lacey it's five questions. It's five. It didn't questions. come from my wife. Okay. <laughs> no, it didn't come from me. Anything can happen. Question number five. The final, final question for tonight. Where do you see your future ten years from now? I don't know if I can say that live. Is there a... <laughs> uh, you know, and that's that's a really good question. It's actually something that um, Kaylee and I have been talking about is where where do we want to see ourselves in the next five and ten years? Um, we love we love Utah. Um, the, the gym community that we've built the last two years of opening this new facility Um has really started to kind of ground us here. But with family being so far away, both of us have really talked about getting closer to my folks, um, a little bit more small town where we don't have to worry so much about what the kids are doing and where they're going when they get older. And, um, you know, the, the town I graduated from is 2,800 people. Yeah. Um, there's one stoplight in the entire county and you, you played all the sports and you could go outdoors and and I, I grew up taking a shotgun in my truck in high school parked in the parking lot and i was hunting pheasants and quail on the way in and you know after practice if there was light depending on the year i was hunting them on the way home so i want my kids to be able to experience that and um you know lizzie my daughter she has been hunting with me in the blind since she was four, um, I waited a little bit longer with Ori, my oldest son. Um, but Lizzie is 
brave blizzards with me and horrible times in the blind and great times in the blind and she is gung-ho and I don't necessarily want her to be able to shoot a crossbow like she wants to but um, I want her to experience what I did growing up and and be around family in the outdoors a lot more so than I think we have the opportunity right now the way the west is looking when it comes to tag applications so um if the like location opened up i'd like to potentially have my own archery pro shop and do something on that side um combined with a crossfit style gym or something like that um same facility have them tied in a wall separating them but um that's, that's something I can picture myself doing for sure. And the way the industry's going. <laughs> yeah. Him and that button. I love the button. I love the button. Congratulations. You have survived <laughs> the five <laughs> questions of the Orion. <laughs> <laughs> so talking about your kids, man, um, uh, Let's get into that just a little bit. I mean, you guys have got three. Yeah, we got three, and then number four is due in August. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. So, <clears throat> are you? You've got the kids out starting them hunting. Um, how excited do you get, man, when you're seeing their passion growing for being outside? Um, I get I get really excited when Lizzie comes up to me the night before I'm ready to go and. Make sure you wake me up. Like, don't you go out without me. And then I get really, really nervous that am I going to pick the right blind to go to that day and something might actually happen where she can experience that with me because it hasn't happened yet. Um, <laughs> she's, she's gotten to experience a lot of cool encounters. Um, I shot a buck in 2016. And unfortunately, in the state of Kansas, not unfortunately, you only get one buck tag in the state of Kansas and I had already filled it. And I had a, I had a draw that's right between two bedding areas. It's got a lot of traffic. They still had standing corn on the East side and they hadn't grazed it that year for cattle. So I had some good CRP cover grass on the West and I had a blind down in the bottom of this. And so took Lizzie and Kaylee in there and set up that night. And within 45 minutes, we've got activity all around us. And Kaylee goes, I think I see a buck down there. And I look up and here comes a 160 inch eight point. And he comes from 200 yards straight at us and comes within three yards of that blind. And Lizzie is shaking. Dad, shoot him. Dad, shoot him. He's huge. That's a monster. <laughs> I'm like, baby, I can't. I don't have a tag. <laughs> we had, we had that buck, and we had a hundred and, hundred eighty to hundred eighty five inch mule there in front of us for, for thirty minutes, about an hour after him, and just to see her excitement, and then you know taking her turkey hunting with me, and you hear the gobble, and she picks up and is like, they're right there, dad, they're behind us, um. Like I'm, I get so much more nervous because I want them to have those experiences and experience the success and getting to see animals versus 
were sitting in a blind for four hours doing nothing, watching an iPad. Um, but it's it's been really fun so far. And she's a trooper. Um, I found a buck for my brother a couple years ago. And we hiked in three quarters of a mile in six inches of snow in a whiteout blizzard to try and go find this buck. And she walked all the way in on her own, started tearing up because she was too hot, took a bunch of layers <laughs> and walked out with us. So, <laughs> and it, and in the end, it almost worked. Um, we ended up, they were in a different draw and we saw them coming back. And I had told my brothers, like, run up ahead of us and see if you can't cut them off. And we'll just keep the decoy and kind of trudge on this ridge up above them. And he got to 45 yards with like a 50 mile an hour crosswind. And we had discussed, you know, leading and what potentially could happen. And he comes to full draw as we came around this corner in the ditch and Lizzie was able to look up and saw the deer and she goes, look deer. <laughs> and they bolt. And my brothers at full on <laughs> just looks back at us like, I love these, <laughs> but really? <laughs> so she's, she gets so excited. Um, and Ori this year, you know, the same way. Um, he's never he's never expressed a lot of interest because the trips turkey hunting have not, you know, we've, we've heard gobbles, but haven't put a bird right in front of us. And um, he was all about it this year. So um, Uncle Troy, my buddy, had, had killed a good buck and, uh, my buddy Taylor from from work had come out, and we were getting some really good encounters and um, getting some real good video. And he's like, "Dad, I want to go now." Okay, so um, getting to see him get more excited about it. Um, I'm curious to see what this one will do. He's kind of my adventurer, so. <laughs> so it's getting it's uh we're a little over an hour into this thing man so we're gonna let you go we know you've got stuff to do you just got home from the gym but uh if you want to hang out for a minute man we'll, yeah uh, we'll be right back with you man we we appreciate you being on um before we let you go though tell the people where to find you tell the people tell people how to get a hold of evan yep so um do a lot on social media mainly on instagram um you can find me there. It's at Huntleet. That's H-U-N-T-L-E-T-E. -E. Um, and that's kind of our, our training and archery focused page. Um, and then my personal one is just at Evan underscore R underscore Williams. So super. Right, man. Well, we appreciate you being on tonight and just hang out for a second. We're going to close this thing out. Pleasure, boys. Thanks, sir. What's up, man? We're back. Oh, hanging out. Hanging out. That was a good one. That was a good one, man. Lots to learn. Um, super knowledgeable individual, as always. And, and man, we just barely scratched the surface. Barely scratched the surface. <laughs> he's he's going to be, Evan's going to be like Nick, and maybe we can have them both on in an episode together. And and I think that'd be, that'd be a time, man. That'd be yeah. A time. Oh, yeah. We need to do that one. Um, so, that's that's it for us tonight. Uh, Orion Podcast, powered by the people at Jackson Kayak. Um, next next podcast, March twenty second, we have got special guest Jameson Redding. He's going to be coming on to talk about his new show, The Road Trip Angler, and uh, it's going to be a 
it's gonna be it's bound, good. bound to be entertaining for sure it's gonna be it's <laughs> gonna be major entertaining so we will see you march uh 22nd 8 p.m eastern right here on the orion podcast thanks for watching guys thanks for listening over and out bye-bye